Ephemeral is a production of iHeartRadio. Part of interviewing great people is that you get more tape than you can use. Things you love inevitably end up on the cutting room floor. The following is my mostly uncut interview with our producer, Matt Frederick. You might know him from Stuff They Don't Want You to Know or as the host of Monster, the Zodiac Killer. He and I have worked together behind the scenes on a bunch of different things, including this show, in which Matt has been involved since the very beginning. Fun fact, he also married Victoria and I. And though we've had an uncountable number of conversations about all things ephemeral, we never had occasion to record it before. For the last episode of the season, Matt turned up this old family tape, a cassette his grandfather recorded in the 1990s of older family recordings dating back as far as 1951. It is incredibly rare to have home-recorded audio from that long ago. The 1951 recording was on a dictabelt, one of many intermediary technologies between the invention of the wax cylinder and the proliferation of reel-to-reel tape. It reminds me of a fruit roll-up, bright red, blue, or purple, translucent vinyl plastic sleeves, like a cover for a cylinder recorder. If they sound strange, perhaps they are, I'll post a video on our Facebook page. We and Matt's grandfather alternatively refer to these source recordings as dictabelts and as tapes. If you haven't already, go listen to the season one finale, Taped Over. We play some extended selections from this tape, and a lot more. Here's my interview with Matt, starting with the sound check. All right, this is Mike's check on Alex's mic. We're going to roll some tape. That's the tape check. We're going to check Matt's mic. Cardboard box that had... Checking Mike. ...some old dictabelts in it. They had been creased and... This is my personal ...badly neglected. And I've tried to rig up a machine. I tested everything out, but, you know, you said to your... uh, I ran you on this mic over here. Oh, yeah, perfect. I can put you on that one. No, 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 this is perfect. Let's put you across the thing. Is it all right if I adjust this slightly? Do whatever you want, man. Okay. This is okay. This isn't too We can at least yeah, sort of see each other. It's yeah, not this too is good. things in the way. Should be good. Yeah, mic check. Mic check. Mic check. This is Matt talking. 59. How do you feel about 59? Yeah, it feels good. 59. Oh, I got to plug this in. Here. Watch out. I can make the sound effects for you. Here you go. Oh, I like that. I might just open the episode like this. Getting ready to move to sell the house. And cleaning out a closet, we found a cardboard box that had some old dicta belts in it. They had been creased and Let's play the first minute badly neglected here. and I've tried to rig up a machine to the cassette recorder to see if we could pick up some of it as near as your mother and I can tell she's usually accurate on as the historian of our family this first bit was probably recorded in 1951 sometime during the middle or late 51 and it was uh, 
I had brought the machine home, I remember, to try to record uh, Joy's first words, and I made a considerable effort to get her to do that, and the longer I tried, the more she just batted the microphone around, and I kept using all kind of baby talk and tricks to get her to do something, and resulted only in making her take the following first recorded protest. <laughs> and then, you know, I think what the next mm -hmm. thing is becomes pretty clear. There's a lot of that. <laughs> uh, would you just describe the... Sorry. Just yeah. describe the t this tape, this tape cassette that he's making right now. What What oh, is yeah. this? Absolutely. Beep. This is an old tan tape cassette that my mother found. And it was apparently just a recording that my grandfather, I know him as Papa. Uh, his name is James Phillips. He, uh, he was recording this after he found some old tapes. Well, in this case, it was a reel-to-reel -reel that he wanted to find a way to transfer over onto cassette tape for posterity, I'm assuming. And you can, you can hear him. So um, it's almost coldly narrating in a way. It has a lot to do with the nature of my grandfather. He was a very philosophical, analytical man. And he was just narrating to anyone else listening. This is the process that he's taking. This is what you will be listening to. And this is why I performed these tasks. You can glean a lot about my grandfather just by hearing that one phrase. It, I took considerable effort to do so. Uh, and when he's, dis when he's speaking about <laughs> his, you know, one-year-old baby, my mother, and, you know, attempting to get her to, to say her first words, um, <laughs> it's so fascinating to me because it really does speak to him and his, his character, um, the type of person he was just by listening to this tape after all of these years. You know, my mother was born on Christmas, 1950, like Christmas Day, 1950. And uh, every year they would call to, to the moment, to the, the, the minute that my mother was born. Every year they would call and uh, wish her a happy birthday. Uh, my mother was very, very important to them. What minute, what time is it, is her, the time of her birth? It's in the evening. I don't know exactly what it is. I just know for a fact that was just a thing that would occur. Um, God, I want to say is around 6 p.m. I don't know if that's correct no, or not. Fine. No, I'm just just curious. Do you think your mom would know if you asked her? She would know exactly. Yeah. Oh, my mom would definitely know because it's been drilled into her head by, by my grandfather, <laughs> my grandmother. Um, both of whom, my grandmother and my grandfather, have passed since my grandfather, Papa, worked in the juvenile, I guess it's justice system. The, I, I don't know exactly the terminology for it, but he was a psychologist and he worked at, um, at a place where children would go that was essentially a prison, right? And when he's performing these interviews, a lot of times he was recording them as technology became available. And, you know, around this time, it must have been gosh, the late 40s, very beginning of 1950, he had access to some kind of recording. He says Dictabelt and he says 1951 according to your grandma because she's yeah. the family historian. Well, I mean, my I know 
so the facts, here are the facts. Yeah. My, my mother was born Christmas 1950. If she's making those sounds, like that is a baby sound. As a father, I know exactly how old of a child that is. I mean, it really is between zero and I want to say six, seven months, like maximum. Um, that, that, is, that is the sound of a baby that you're hearing. So it must be in 1951. Um, just the fact that he had access to this hardware, to this new technology that he was going to bring home, you know, and try and get the first words from my mother. I, I can totally understand that. We live in an age now, I have a three-year-old son, and I know early on when he was beginning to vocalize, my wife and I had our phones out all the time attempting to capture this moment, this, uh, the first word or the first words or phrase or something to where this baby is um, not just this babbling little being, but this thing that's attempting to communicate with us with the words that we use. It's a magical moment that you want to capture. And that's exactly what my grandfather was attempting to do just with this older technology. So he can't just sit there and roll tape for hours and hours or days or days the way we can with our digital technology now. He had to very purposefully go to attempt to get those first words out of her. Almost like in this weird way, almost this interrogation or this uh, I, I, experimentation or something to where, okay, we're going to make this occur now. And it doesn't go well. No, it does not go well. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing about this tape is just hearing my grandfather then in the 1990s or whenever that was, 1992 perhaps, when he's recording the cassette of him narrating what was occurring in 1951 because the frustration that he has and thinking about it and the uh, disbelief that anyone ever would be interested in listening to this. There's a part where he's lit he says that he's erasing the old tape. It is still going on, so we will continue to erase. As a matter of fact, I think I'll begin at the beginning and erase all of this. Yeah, I. now that I don't really get. I don't know why he would do that. It feels like, for me, knowing, knowing Jim or Papa, he would want to preserve that recording in some way as a standalone and then as a secondary thing, make something that would be presentable to someone else rather than having to sit through the entire tape of my mother crying for an hour. And so that's the cassette tape. That's the 1990s yes. tape. I don't know why he says he's erasing the Dictabelt recording on tape. I don't, I don't know why he would be doing that. Honestly, I don't. But it could also be him, you know, he's the kind of person that simultaneously wants so badly to hold on to the the real world artifacts of his experience and his life but also to to shed himself of a lot of that um he was very much i would use the word obsessed but i don't think that's correct he was um tremendously fascinated with his own mortality and with the mortality of um, of others around him. And, uh, he, his bookshelf was filled with philosophical musings on whatever afterlife could be or reincarnation, um, on, you know, heaven and, and hell and all of these things. Um, I, I sometimes wonder if 
keeping those artifacts while he's alive to have those memories feel real, to have something tangible to grasp onto, even if it is just a cassette tape, but he can hold that cassette tape in his hand and remember, oh, this is, this is my daughter's, you know, first recording. Also, you do interact with it sensorily, you know, as yeah. it vibrates your eardrums too. Yeah, and he can really experience it again if he wants to. But at the same time, he's making a recording where he's essentially criticizing his own efforts. He's and doing an edit on himself. Yeah, in, in time like that. And now we're listening to it again. The first time I ever heard it was when my mom found it because you were making ephemeral. Oh, yeah. And I forgot about that. I'm just kidding. No, no, but it, it, I think this is worth exploring and perhaps it doesn't even go into the podcast, but because you were making this show, I asked my mother to see if there's anything in storage somewhere that has a rec an old recording that we could find. And in particular of my grandfather, because he liked to make recordings like that of just his thoughts. Um, I have, I had countless recordings of his thoughts when I was in college just fascinating stuff. Felt like I was listening to a guru of sorts or a teacher or something, just listening to his, his philosophical musings. Uh, I very much loved it. I got to bring it into a studio here and record it just to see if there was anything usable. And I got to hear it for the first time. And he's been gone since 2013. And um, it was very much an emotional experience for me to to listen to his voice again because I hadn't done it in a long time. And um, then also hearing my mother as a baby, knowing the joy of being a father and knowing the feeling that my grandfather was having in that moment in 1951 when he's making that initial recording. Um, that really struck home. And I mean, that pulses through the three layers of recording, four if you want to count this one. Yeah. Right? That, whatever that spark is, right? Like, I wonder if there's something special about getting the first words versus getting the second words. And there really isn't. There really isn't. It's just, uh, I think that's more societal, right? That uh, mm. baby's first words yeah. or something that... Uh, it's a that, benchmark. Yeah, but you, it's written down in places. You know, <laughs> there, there are manufactured books that come out where you're supposed to put in things like the first words. And there's no section for the second or fifth word. Now, I can't speak to exactly what was happening or why that my grandfather came upon this dictabelt, uh, this reel, essentially, of you know, the 1951 recording. But I do know, and he says it in the tape, that... The family is preparing to move and he just happened to stumble upon it, basically. And I can only assume, you know, when you're moving, think about how hectic that situation is. Trying to get all of your worldly possessions into boxes, uh, organizing things, getting it out of the door. I guarantee you that while they were planning to move, my grandfather stumbled upon this. And then late one night, he got out of his cassette player. He got out some old hardware that he had laying around somewhere and just began listening. And as soon as he stumbled upon it, he felt like he needed to, to have it, to, uh, to share with probably, probably my mother as well as her brother, who's also named Jim. I think, I think 
that's probably what happened. And I can't, it's so funny. I can't tell you where they were moving or, or like, <laughs> I don't know exactly those facts. I believe it's when they were moving to their condo in Florida, but, um, per, perhaps that's not true. That's where I remember them moving. Um, the only place, the only place I ever remember them living is a condo in Clearwater, Florida. Where were they? Where were they before that? They were in, I think, I think, I know there was some time in, uh, Ohio for sure. I can't remember if they were actually in New York or not. Um, and this is just problems with my family, not, uh, having a very good history. <laughs> yeah. Had, there's gray spots and everybody's. Yeah. Yeah. Some, there's some, there's some those. punks I believe time, but I don't know exactly when that was. And so then he's, he's got the, you know, I'm just, I'm picturing it, you know, house oven boxes in the, near the closet late at night. He's got reel to reel on one side and he's got tape deck on the other plugged in and a microphone plugged in so he can narrate and then play a little tape, narrate, basically DJing. Yeah, he is. He is. It's, it's, um, and I, I know it was at night too, because that's generally when he would, uh be really active with, with his, uh, writing mm. when he was like journaling or, uh, taking notes with something. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, the tape plays that we really don't need to narrate cause he, yeah. he, uh, he does all of the, he did all the work for us. Yeah, already, exactly. kind of. Um, but so the rest, of, so the tape that he's digitizing has other stuff on it too, yes. right? It's been taped over. Yes. And you, you can hear at one point, my mother and my uncle, a little bit older, and they're singing songs. In a not exactly sequential order, yeah. uh, or not exactly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, when something goes in chronological? In a not exactly chronological order, they grow up yeah. to the tape. Yeah. Um, it's, it's fascinating, too. Your mom, like, as a, let me, let me play a little bit of this. Okay. Uh, your mom. The chorus gone to sing. She's singing here? Yeah. As a little kid? But you can hear that she's a really good singer because kids don't sing like that. Perfect rhythm. And even though her vocal cords can't, I'm sorry I'm talking over it, but even though her vocal cords can't quite do it, like you can tell that she's a singer. She sounds so much like my sister when my sister was young. Yeah. I don't think I know the tune. Dude, my sister has a three-year-old daughter, and it sounds like her too. It's so odd. Oh, Santa Claus. And wow. then, you know, uh, uh, they're all, I mean, your grandfather's like leading them in song all the time. Yeah. But so, I mean, because of the magic of time travel, which is, you know, uh, memory and, you know, we have physical tape that will do that work for us. Uh, you know, shortly after, uh, she's singing. Teenager man. Is that her again? Singing in French? 
Is that Jim? That might be Jim. This is Joyce Bell. No, that was Joyce. A girl told me that she stole a car, Ford, I think it was, and that she was driving it, and the police asked her if she had a driver's license. Of course, she said no because she's only 13. And she said she had to go. And today, my father, Mr. Phillips, said that it was Rowan. I don't know whether it's her or not. It sure seems like a coincidence. An awful lot of other kids, and maybe they're true. Thank you. Well, courthouse. Not to stay. Now, I didn't do anything, but I'm just visiting my dad. And we got a dictating machine, and he said... Maybe that sounds like Jim. I think that We're was... We're going to cut in on this last part of this tape to explain that <laughs> somehow, some way, in doing these dictabelts... <clears throat> They got all messed up. We have Jim at a much earlier age finishing off the tape with joy. And he, of course, in the first part of the tape is 1963 and uh, was singing songs. You can tell the difference how chronologically they got so screwed up. I don't know. I think it's funny, like, that he is frustrated by it almost. Yeah, yeah he is. Like, it's an amazing find. He's like, why are they out of order? Uh, I mean, I'm curious, too. This little bit right here, I'm going to just play you okay. just a couple of seconds on the end there. I think that that long tape gets cut in a, several times. It's something yeah. fascinating happens here that I don't know that we'll ever really crack the mystery of. Yeah. But. Maybe they're true. Thank you. Well, courthouse. Not to stay. No, I didn't do anything, but I'm just visiting my dad. And we got a dictating machine. And That's definitely true. How many times do you hear? I hear like four times that those are four different recordings right there. I think you're absolutely right because I, I know I heard Jim earlier, but then I heard my mom immediately after I heard him. And then it came back to Jim. He's saying he's visiting my dad at the courthouse. That hits home right for me because, the, I mean, the tape that I used in the first episode that my oldest tape is is uh, me and my dad's office. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. I'll, I'm going to play you just this. This is what I think is maybe th- it's this is one of the most amazing tapes I've ever, I've ever gotten to listen to. But this this is probably my favorite part. All right, we got to go now. Goodbye. We got to see mommy. Bye, daddy. Bye, Jimmy. Bye, everybody that's listening to this tape someday. But this is a very historical moment. And I'm so sorry to be well so long. Um, she knew. Isn't that wild? Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, besides that, they're doing skits. They're saying, yeah. besides the fact that just like all of your family is just like brilliant and really talented and multilingual and philosophers <laughs> and, and th- they all like get it that this is, they're part of this time travel continuum. I, I don't know if they get it, but they at least knew that somebody later on will listen to it. I'd have to assume that my mom in that moment is just thinking about her, her father listening to it later, or maybe somebody from the office listening to it. Um, 
I, I, I mean, perhaps, perhaps they knew, but it's, it's real, it's crazy how it resonates, like whether they knew or not for, for me, it's just saying those words into a recording in the 1960s, uh, saying whoever's going to be listening to this. And now you and I in 2019 sitting in a room commenting on it, uh, and then people on their phones walking around with, with their headphones in listening to that. Um, damn. And who knows if it'll be the end. I mean, this tape or maybe this episode that we're working on gets mixed into something later. The extraterrestrials use it as some <laughs> form of research. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> I haven't even asked any of the questions I wrote in yet. Um, your grandfather calls your grandmother the family historian at some point. Do you think yeah. that he was the family documentarian? Perhaps. I mean, in a way, in a way, my grandfather was so concerned with what comes next for his life, for his children, for his grandchildren, for myself and my sister Kim. He was very concerned about protecting. He was concerned about um, the, the, the worry that he had for the next thing, whatever comes next. And a lot of times, you know, for him, it was the worst case scenario. Let's prepare for that. Let's make sure if the worst case scenario occurs, we're going to, we're going to be okay. We'll be able to handle that. Then anything that happens that's more positive than worst case scenario, it's just, uh, it's icing on our, our life cake, whatever that is. That's a <laughs> weird phrase. But um, for him, documenting these kinds of moments so that he can look back and have almost this, almost a legacy, just a personal collection of legacy that would get passed down in some way, I think was very important to him. So, yeah, I would say my grandmother was more of the, uh, I can recall what occurred uh, in any given moment. I will tell you exactly what happened when. She was amazing at that. She can tell you, oh no, that was that was nineteen sixty seven. I remember we were we were here and we did this. Does Diana do that? Does she remember the things that you forget? She has such better recall for when things occurred. Mm -hmm. You know, we were discussing our first date. We've mm -hmm. we've been together. We're going to be married for ten years this year, and we've been together since two thousand two. And I was trying to recall our first date, and she rattled it. And she just rattled it right off. And I was like, oh, I, that's not the way I remembered it. Honestly, because I think maybe we have a tendency to do that. I replaced our first official date with one that I found either more exciting, more enjoyable, or more interesting. I then took that uh, bookmark and then shifted it over a little bit in my mind. And I wonder how often we do that. Uh, they say that as soon as something happens... I mean, because, I mean, the moment, I mean, when is now? It's gone. Yeah. Uh, you you have the memory of it, but then your next memory is a memory of that memory. Yeah. And it's it just copies. gets- Copies. Copies. Yeah. And so it just, and so if if, if bad data gets in there, yeah. you know, it can be replicated over and over, take over like a virus. As well-intentioned as it may be. It's one of, the, I think it's one of the reasons that having scratchy old tape 
can have such a profound impact because it just cuts through that even and maybe even especially when it's sort of can be ambiguous like why is there why are the edges of this thing blurry Mm -hmm. like i can't tell how many times that record button just got hit uh it sort of it raises all those questions it sort of calls uh calls to attention how bad our human memory is yeah yeah, mine in particular oh, um, is... is I'm, uh, I count on you to remember so many things for me, man. <laughs> well, that's why... Why do you think I take such copious notes? So I can look at it and go, okay, that's what was said. <laughs> um, do you think that you, to some extent, had the torch passed to you? Do you feel like you've followed in some way in your grandfather's footsteps? Uh, it was certainly that thought or and motivation was was placed on me a lot. And in, I think I took it to heart quite a bit. My, I was, my grandfather, Papa always would call me his one and only say my one and only because I was his only grandson. And, uh, there was a pressure I felt from that, but also at the same time, there was a, a pride in wanting to, to do right by him to always wanting to, um, he had this virtuous quality to him in, in a way that I don't experience in a lot of other people. Not that, not to say other people aren't virtuous, but it, it's almost so deeply ingrained in him that I looked, I looked to him on a pillar in a way, and I know he wasn't a perfect man, but at the same time, something about being so thoughtful and uh, reflective was was very appealing to me. And that in combination with being called his one and only, like this person who's, I'm going to inherit his earth that he's essentially created around him, even in this small space where he existed in his family and all these people he's influenced and affected, I was going to be the the lineage to that, or I was going to be the next, essentially. Um and I took that to heart for certain, and uh, I feel I feel that now heavily. Um, well, someone that knows you, well, I think some of the those uh, profound qualities that you've found in him, I find in you. Uh, uh, but see, I, I also cannot accept uh, a statement such as that. <laughs> right? Yeah, I know how you feel. My dad told me, my family, we do not have tapes. No one really taped my. Um, there's a story my dad tells. I think in this interview that I got with him that. My grandma or my great grandma, I think, would point her eight millimeter camera out the window on trips, and so she filmed, you know, the interstate. Yeah, yeah, I I still do that sometimes. Yeah, I mean, everyone knows that video. Yeah, uh, there's a little bit of odds and ends of silent films and stuff, but there's really not like Victoria's family has everything on tape. We yeah. have like I have that old little tape there. There's no videos until I got a camera when I was 13, and I started making sort of like skits and things yeah but my dad called me the family historian or the family documentarian and i'm like i don't know a i don't know if it's true and b that feels like a burden like i feel like i've i haven't i haven't like handled that responsibility well like i didn't i didn't do a good job documenting the things that happened i just made things i know what you mean do you have a video degree i cannot yeah so you have a video degree as soon as as soon as I got my video degree, 
uh, I felt, and I know this is much later in life, but I felt this pressure from my family is like, well, you're going to be the one who was like taking movie quality images of everything we're going to be doing for the next, you know, and for as long as we all live. Um, and I have, I have not been doing that because in a way it's this separation of what you do for work, for an occupation or something like that. And then the, the quiet, um, moments you have with your family or, you know, on vacation or doing something that doesn't require, it doesn't require it to be observed, to be enjoyed. If that makes sense. Does it require it to be observed, to be enjoyed? Yeah. There's no, it doesn't require someone to make a Facebook post. I, I don't want anyone to Instagram it. I don't want to see anyone live tweeting, um, hanging out at the park with my family or going to a family reunion. I don't care about that. I want to be there with those people in those moments. But at the same time, if we don't record it in any way, then it is gone. And those, those two ideas exist always together at the same time. I, I mean, the, the question I think that's at the heart of it that I've been considering and have no answer to is how do you choose when to hit record? Yeah. Because, like, I get this feeling that, oh, that thing just passed me by. I wish I had that. And then I get this other feeling, like I've got my phone out and I'm recording my cat. Well, that's never a bad idea. But I've got my phone <laughs> out and I'm recording something. And I'm like, I wish I was just interacting with this moment and living in it. But I turn my phone off and I'm worried that I'm missing it. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, the phone makes, the phone adds an element to that. But I don't think that it's. It's new to that. I, I do think technology has made that, has amplified that problem or that dilemma, Certainly. I should say. Certainly. When it's also a, I think there's a factor there with the the sharing, the social media sharing kind of thing. So it's it's no longer to document it. It's to share that this is an experience you've had or are having in this moment. And, and in a way, I'm uncomfortable with that for some reason. It it does sort of pack it, but you know, it, it feels more manufactured too, I think. Yeah. Like your grandfather's trying to manufacture an encounter with your mother and it goes totally wrong because you can't, yeah. you, you know, yeah. you can't tell the baby to say its first words. It's just like, no. <laughs> I, I also, fi I find it uncanny how similar that tape is, that section of the tape, yeah. to the first tape that's in the show, the show Uncle Jack Your Shoes tape that the whole thing started from. Brian, can you say something? Yeah, hi. Brian, say hi. Say hi. Say hi. Hey. 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 And my wife wanted me to come and watch a TV show with her in our living room. We have this tiny little house. It's like right around the corner. But I started listening to it just with my phone speaker. And it was, you know, it opens with that piece of tape. And I could not turn. I, I told him, I'm sorry, I can't. I told my wife, I'm sorry, I can't come and watch whatever this thing is right now. I need to listen to this because it was so intriguing to me hearing the moment, that fourth dimensional moment with those people in that, in that, I'm assuming living room. I've always thought kitchen. Perhaps kitchen. Mm -hmm. Again, when I think about my house 
it's literally kitchen, living room. It's all just one tiny little thing and then like a couple bedrooms over here. So I just imagine the the living space, right, in like a 1950s home mm-hmm. or maybe maybe early 1940s. 60s, early 60s. Well, I'm just imagining the home oh, was probably well, the built. Home, the home is built. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, so just in my mind, I've created this picture of that moment. And, I have to. And a lot of it is manufacturing memories of my current you know, living space, like I'm how I'm describing it, my memories of being a kid in the small house where I grew up with my family, um, the little condo that my grandparents owned. It's all these kind of things amalgamated into one. And I'm imagining that moment with the windows from my parents' house and the couch from my grandparents' uh, condo. I don't know. It's just strange how our, our minds do that. Um, and at the same time, that was a real moment, however brief it was for those people. And we, we get to experience it now. Yeah. We all know who Gail is now. Yeah. It's so, you know, cause shoes, <laughs> Victoria will walk around saying things that Gail says. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's the one that she likes to say? I mean, my favorite is, and I love it. <laughs> yeah. <that was laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. And I love it. God, what's the one that Victoria likes to say? Uh, and Lynn Pichet. <laughs> doesn't, it's apropos of nothing, <laughs> should just say. And Lynn Pichet. <laughs> I'll just try to put like too fine a point on it because this is an unanswerable question. But yeah. like when you – so when you're thinking about do I hit record or do I not? You know, I, you're at the beach with your son or whatever. You're at, yeah. on this vacation. And this amazing thing is happening that he's just, you know, existing and this moment is just passing. How do you – it doesn't have to be that instance but – is there any sort of rubric you can use for when to record and when not to record? For me, it's good to, I think about it this way. My wife and I are a team and in my family, it's my wife, myself, and my son. And if I know my wife is there enjoying a moment with my son, that she's, she's so present with him that the thought of, getting her camera out or any kind of recording device and hitting record is nowhere near where her mind is. But I'm, you know, a bit of a third party to what's occurring. That's when I, I will record. And my wife will do that too. My wife is much more thoughtful about it because she knows uh, the rest of our family wants to also see these moments. So she will much more often record and remove herself from the situation a little bit to do that. Um, Quite frankly, I should be doing that more often so that she can have more of those moments. But I know she gets those uh, in her daily life because she's a she stays at home with him. Sorry, I just want to say that that's the burden of being the family documentarian that you're feeling right there. Yes, you're absolutely right. Because if you are the person recording it, then you are somewhat absent, or at least a, there's a percentage of you that it has to be absent. And the guilt that you feel when you're not doing it. Yeah, yeah, because other people want to know and see. It's it's tough, man. I think we just have to wait for the old black mirror technology where our eyes are the cameras and uh, everything gets recorded in our hard drive up there. I have it written down here. Have you ever wished that everything would be recorded? If Even if it was just an ephemeral wish, you just were like, ah, I wish that, you know, you, you, you're you playing the drums and you just played it perfect. <laughs> and then you tried to record it and the yeah. second time just didn't have the thing. Oh, so many times that has occurred. Um I'd have to say no, 
because I think if we if that technology existed where every moment got recorded in perpetuity, you would lose the magic of of the moment. We'd never be able to watch it all. Well, you'd never be able to watch it all, but if you wanted to, you could go back and relive relive anything however many times you wanted, always. And then if you if you imagine someone doing that, a point of consciousness, a human, a single person living in a, a, a world where they're just reliving all of the memories, then how, where are they existing in the actual timeline? You know, the, the, the cusp of time, where, where, where are they there? I tell you what, being a, an editor, you can feel like that sometimes. Yeah. Cause you get lost. Cause editing is screws time up. It screws your brain up. Like I'm sitting here having a conversation with you and, and I'm trying not to think about how I'm going to edit this later. I know. I can see I can see it. And I'm I'm trying very hard to help you have these moments where you can cut in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, and I can see you doing that too. I, um, so what the heck do we do with that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Oh, Lord. I just uh, – I, I think maybe I just have one more question here. Um that's kind of specific to you. You have been recorded a lot. Yes. Yes, I have been recorded a lot. Um, Do you have any idea how many times you've been recorded? Oh, uh, let's, let's see if I can guesstimate. So there have been about 370 episodes of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know, and that's anywhere between half an hour to an hour. Um, I've recorded drums. I don't even know how many times only, only professionally, maybe a hundred or so times or something like at a live gig or in a recording studio or something. Um, oh, wow. All the videos that we used to make on the other podcasts and stuff, it's hundreds of times. And then if you can imagine just all the family videos and everything, the acting. I used to act all the time and that would get recorded. Oh God. Yeah. I exist out there. Nobody knows my name though. So that's the good thing. (laughs) Say a number. Pick a number out of the sky. It would be, let's just say around a thousand probably true moments where I knew I was being recorded and I was actively participating. Okay. How about times that the record button the record button was depressed that's a weird way to say it. <laughs> how about times that the record button was hit yeah and any time for anything in any medium yeah you recorded that's tens of thousands easily it could be more yeah no maybe not. i don't know i have no i my my brain can't really figure that out and it, it simply is because of the the recording that we're focusing on today my grandfather made recordings like that all the time with if he was hanging out with my sister or I, we would just sit with him and he would just want us to talk so that he could, because we would be in Georgia most likely where he's coming up to visit us. Then he would retreat with his wife back down to Clearwater, Florida and wouldn't see us until maybe next year or, you know, eight months from then. And we were very important to him. He, he and my grandmother, granny and papa, they, they let us know how important we were to them in every interaction. And I know for a fact from talking to my, my grandmother that he would sit in his office and listen to those tapes 
of my sister and I just talking about nothing, just talking, you know, playing, we were playing with my grandfather and he would just sit and listen and he would experience just to be with us. Do you think that there's something specific about the actual physical, like the fact that it's on tape yeah. versus, versus, you know, a digital recording? Do you think there's something about the physical media inherently? Or do you think that it's just because we kind of grew up on the cusp of when analog was, uh, we're what, what, five years apart? You're like maybe five years older than me. Yeah, I'm 35. And I'm 29. Yeah. So six years. When we were kids, every, you know, it was still VHS and stuff, but digital mm -hmm. was coming. Digital was, And then by the time you and I were in film school, it was digital. Yes, exactly. And now it's all very digital. I think it all has to do with having a physical interaction. There is, if you imagine that moment where you're going to the closet like my grandfather did, and you, you open, you physically open the closet, you smell you know, maybe the, the clothes that have been there for a while, the boxes that are maybe a little bit dusty, you reach up and you pull out an old shoe box or something that has cassettes lined up in it. And you open that box and you pull out a cassette tape and there's sensory input with all of this. Then you take it over, you, you hear the, you hit the eject button on your cassette player and you hear it open. You, you slide that cassette in, you make sure it's, you know, perfectly in there and adjusted the correct way. You close it. You hear that. You hit that play button and it's a physical, it's a mechanism that you hit. And then this voice comes through of someone that you love. I mean, that's a magical thing. Um, and I, I don't know if it's just because of when we grew up and what we experienced in living through that, but it's not the same as moving your mouse over or your trackpad over and clicking on a, a file or just hitting spacebar. But I tell you what, it makes it a whole lot easier. It certainly does. When you get a show that's, you know, 150 or 250 cues an episode, <laughs> if I had to pull those all from down the, off the shelf and get 45s and tapes Line, and reel-to-reels and... Line it up, record it in real time. I have wire recording in there. I got wax cylinders. Yeah. If that stuff hadn't all been digitized... This wouldn't be possible at all. You're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. But I think what I'm speaking to is the reason that cassettes, you'll, you, you can find cassette tapes again now. Bands are putting out their music on cassette tapes, vinyl records. We have a, a new person who's working at our office named Seth. He runs a record company where he specifically will take your music and make a vinyl record out of it. That's what he does. This guy right here? Yeah. Oh, cool. And And it's... There's a resurgence of it because you get to, ha I, in my opinion, because you get to have that interaction. I think you're right. I mean, it's endlessly fascinating. It's one of the tenets of this show. Yeah. It's one of the things that Sarah Wasserman, like her whole sort of career is built on it. Yeah. And she can talk to it brilliantly. Yeah. I sort of just, you know, blink my eyes and stare into the into the distance. <laughs> well, you made a show about it. And honestly... How often do we think about this stuff when we're, when we're living our busy lives? Uh, you know, even I probably don't think about it near as much as I could, as much as I interact with it. It's like you're busy and you're doing things, you know? I'll tell you this, Alex, the, the reason why this show resonates with me so much is because of the philosophical nature of it. It's, it's pondering ourselves and our experience 
and why it's important and how we record things and why things matter. That's really what this big, this, for me, that's what the show is. And the tape that we're using just as an example in this episode is it's the same thing for me because it's what my grandfather was. It's who he was. He, he embodied that spirit of uh, pondering, questioning, wondering, mm. and he wanted to know what was going to happen to him. His biggest question was, what happens to me when I'm gone? But, you know, we still have him. And he's still here. Isn't that spine-chilling? It's cool. It's amazing. I think it's a great place to wrap, unless you feel like we didn't hit anything. I think we went, I think we moved, br- you know, briskly yeah, through yeah, time yeah. and space there. <laughs> I'll, I'll break the cord recording. Sweet. In cleaning out a closet, we found some old dicta belts. Just in case you haven't heard it yet, this interview, as well as interviews with my wife, father, and best friend, were used in the ephemeral season finale, taped over. The full first season of Ephemeral is available now wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at ephemeral.show. I've tried to rig up a machine to see if we could pick up some of it. This is an odd tape. This is a historical recording. The problem is 31 years of magnetic degradation. I have no idea what it's going to look like. These are all, these are about five different tapes that are spliced together here at different occasions. The images were jumping. The sound got warped. I don't know whether it's her or not, but it sure seems like a coincidence. She was afraid she would forget what it sounded like. Forty years, forty-one years later, can't understand why I recorded so much of it. Disbelief that anyone ever would be interested in listening to this. How nice it is for us to be in here playing with this machine. Like years of recording over the same tape. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's any audio, really. So I don't think there's much.